15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15. We are continuing in our lostness series, the oneness of lostness. We've got one more week next week, and today we're going to look at the younger brother and the prodigal father in this very famous, greatest short story ever, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Sociologist Breen Brown pushes us to embrace our own brokenness with the reality that we're not alone in it, that, like we're all broken, that we're one step away from the broken people all around us. Brown wrote, and I quote, we are those people. The truth is we are the others. Most of us are one paycheck away, one divorce away, one drug-addicted child away, one mental health diagnosis away, one serious illness away, one drinking binge away, one affair away, one bad decision away from being those people. Uh, the, the ones we don't trust, the ones that we, we pity, the ones we don't let our children play with, the ones bad things happen to, the ones we don't want living next door. End quote. So this Sunday, I want to speak to you on the subject, One Step Away. In this parable, in, from verse 11 through 24 is what we're going to be looking at this morning, there are some movements, uh, five movements that I want us to move through the text and just let the text talk. So here's the first movement we're going to look at. Number one, one step away from being sick of home. One step away from being sick of home. Notice verse 11 here in Luke 15. We're going to read verse 11 and 12 on this first movement. And he said, now that he hears Jesus. So remember who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is having a conversation or he's talking, addressing rather, the Pharisees and the scribes. Because they are looking at Jesus saying, what is this, what is this Jesus doing? Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he receiving these people that have been canceled? Why is he doing that? These are outcasts. So he said to them, and who he's saying this to are the proud grumbling, self-righteous Pharisees and scribes. And so here's the parable. There was a man who had two sons. Now the man here represents God the Father. In the parable, the man is representative of God the Father, okay, who we just sang about, Yahweh, Yahweh, okay. So he had two sons. The younger son represents the sinners and tax collectors, and the older son represents the Pharisees and the scribes. So a father, two sons. The younger of them, the sinners and tax collectors, said to his father, God the Father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, first of all, we need to understand what this young son is requesting there's a problem with it, okay? In this culture and in this time, to request your inheritance early was a slap in the face of your father and your family. It was a disgrace. It was a shameless, shameful request that this young son is making of his father. Well, what's so wrong with it? Well, first of all, he's not honoring the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. He's, he's dishonoring 
the fifth commandment. And according to the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 21, this younger son should have been drugged out into the village among all the other elders and stoned to death. Because a rebellious child was to be stoned to death. Thirdly, basically what he's saying to his dad is, Dad, you're dead to me. Dad, you are canceled. Like, Dad, you are dead to me. Now, I know, we know that God is not dead, but we've all lived at some point in our lives, we lived as if God was dead to us, rebelling, doing our own thing. Saying what this prodigal son is saying to his father is what you and I have said to God in our rebellion and in our sin. God, I have my own plans, right? And they don't involve you, and they don't involve your church. And I'm going to go my way, and you need to let me go. And so this is what the son is saying to the father. I no longer want to be a part of this family. You are dead to me. The other side of this is, is he's also committing quasi-suicide. Strict Jewish families today, if a child is rebellious and dishonors the family and disowns the family, the strict Jewish families even today will say a Kaddish over the family, which is a prayer, a funeral prayer over the child. This one that's dishonored them and disowned them is dead to the family. In fact, twice in this parable, let me remind you, twice here, the father says, once he says it this way, for this my son was dead right? But now he's alive again. And to the older brother, he even said this, uh, your brother was dead. Okay, so even the father's recognizing here, the son, when he walked away from the family, was reckoned as dead to the family. So there's a lot wrong with this request. But notice what the father doesn't do. The father doesn't report the son to the village elders and they stone him to death. The father doesn't rebuke the son the father doesn't reason with the son the father doesn't reject his request the father doesn't ridicule his son he doesn't run roughshod over his son he doesn't rant and rave about his son he doesn't rail on his son does he notice what he does and he divided up his property between them now if the pharisees thought the request was shameful the honoring of this request the granting of the request was even more shameful. So the Pharisees at this point, their jaws have hit their sandals. They're about to pass out when they hear Jesus telling this parable. And here's what Jesus is doing in this parable. He is illustrating for us. He is pointing us to the fact that Jesus, God in human flesh, who has every power and every prerogative to destroy every one of us in our sin, He has every right to do that, yet He lavishly pours out upon us grace and mercy. So what this father is doing in this text is what Jesus has done for us at the cross. He has lavished his love and mercy and grace upon us, even in our rebellion. And so meanwhile, here we are, one step away from being sick of home like this younger son. He couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take maybe being compared to his brother. Why can't you be more like your older brother? Or maybe he felt like his dad had had just turned his back on him or not loved him like he thought he should or whatever. He got to the point where he was sick of being at home. Maybe you're close to that. Maybe you're in a place in your marriage where you're one direct message away from walking away. One more issue away from running away. Maybe you're one step away from being sick of home due to a midlife crisis or due to the pressure that keeps piling up and piling up. 
or seeing those perfect marriages on social media that you don't have. By the way, all those marriages that portray perfection on social media, they're all falling apart, by the way. You need to know that. But you feel like you're one step away from being sick of home. Well, how do we guard against that? How do we keep from taking that step? One thing that we can do that might be helpful is what the Scripture says to count your blessings. To, 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 to make a list and make sure your blessings, make sure your list of blessings is longer than your list of complaints. Because if your list of complaints is longer than your list of blessings, you're dangerously close to taking this step. Let's look at the second movement. One step away from being sick of home, one step away from being sick in the head. What do I mean by that? Sin makes us sick. Like physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, sin is sickening. It makes us sick. And, and so look what happens in verse 13. As we move from being one step away from being sick of home, the one step away from being just sick. Look at this. Not many days later, the only thing this younger son didn't waste was time. He didn't waste any time wasting all he had. Not many days later. I mean, he got to, he wanted to get to sinning, and he got to sinning quickly, instantly, immediately. And the younger son, he gathered all he had and took a journey. This gathered all he had speaks of how hastily he, 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 he gathered up all his property and probably liquidated it for a lot less than it was really worth because he was in such a hurry to get away. So he gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Literally, he wasted his property in wasteful living. He couldn't wait to waste all he had. And so this sin of stepping away, making such a shameful request, such a selfish request, it made him sick. So sick that he goes off into a far country. Here's what we learn from verse 13. This younger son had no intention of ever coming back home. He gathered all he had. Not some of it. If he was going to return home, he would have left some of it back there. Right? He had no intention of ever returning home. He had left for good. Period. Never to come home. And he took that journey into the far country. Now I know 2020 feels like we're in the far country already, doesn't it? All the stuff that's happening. All the stuff we've seen. All the stuff we're hearing about. All the bad news and the horrible news and the terrible news. Isn't it time for some good news? <laughs> well, this far country... Let, let, let me, when you think about the far country, don't think of it as being geographically a long distance away. The far country is not that far away. The, the far country is one step, one step outside of God's will is the far country. Just one step outside of the will of God is the far country. It's one step away. You can be living at home and be in the far country. You can be working your job and be in the far country. You can be online worshiping right now and be in the far country. You can be on campus right now and be in the far country. The far country is not geographically a long way. It's one step outside of God's will. 
And, and let, let me give you a real-time, real-life example of this. Since March, when COVID-19 just basically shut the world down, since March, 33% of Christians in America, American Christians, one-third of the church in America, one-third of the church, according to a, a LifeWay survey, recent survey, 33% of the church have neither attended corporate worship in person or online since March. One-third of American Christians have said, well, the church just isn't, in, in, just isn't important anymore. They don't value corporate worship. One-third have not worshipped corporately since March. And of those 33%, this study found that the emotional burdens they're carrying are growing and growing and growing. That their anxiety is through the roof. Why? Because sin makes us sick. When we forsake the gathering of the believers in worship, that is sin and we're going to get sick. And hey, I'm not talking about you have to be in person at every service. to ga- We're gathering online. That's a gathering online to get into the Word together, to worship together. That God unites our hearts through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And one-third of the church in America said, well, it's just not that important. And it breaks my heart as a pastor. Because I know there's a lot of tension right now. I know families are bothered by school coming up. We don't know what's going to happen with school. Are they going to gather? Are they not? How many days are they going to be in school? Our children, what's going to happen with that? What's that going to look like? Are they going to wear masks? Are they not? What, what's that going to be like? And I know parents are bothered by that, bothered by the even thought of their children not being in school five days a week. It is bothersome. I get it. But what bothers me is that it doesn't bother us to keep our kids out of church, but it bothers us to keep them out of school. And that's a problem. And again, I'm not talking about you have to be. I know this is a very unique situation we're in with COVID-19. But there's no reason at all. You can't gather your family up and worship online. There's no reason whatsoever that you can't gather as a body of believers in your home and worship online and have that online community. This is critical. And all it takes is one step outside of God's will. And you're in the far country. To get in the habit of forsaking the assembly is a dangerous place to be. Don't take that step. One step away from being in the far country. I was reading an author writing a parable about a crowded theater. And he was talking about this crowded theater that was doing a variety show and various acts in the show. And one act was more, even more fantastic than the one before it. And the applause just gets louder and louder after each act. And... Finally, a clown ran out onto the stage and said, Hey, I, I hate to interrupt, but you need to know our theater is on fire. You need to get out of here right now. And the crowd just thought that was part of the show. And they started applauding and cheering louder and louder and louder. The clown came out a second time and says, Look, I'm serious. The, the, the theater's on fire. You need to get out of here. And again, the, the crowd just cheered louder and louder and applauded more and more. And ultimately, the clown left and the people were destroyed. We don't have to look very far to understand that our nation is on fire. Our generation is on fire. Our age is on fire. Hell is on fire. And it will all go down. It will all be destroyed. Not at the sound of mourning and repentance, but at the sound of cheering and applauding as we continue to call good evil and evil good. We are sick because of sin. That's why we're sick. That's why we're hurting. It's because of sin. It's sickening. Sin doesn't make any sense. 
Sin is senseless. That's why you look in verse 17 in this parable and he says he came to his senses. Why? Because sin caused him to have no sense. It's so dangerous to be one step away from being sick in the head. Here's the third movement. Look at movement number three. One step away from being heart sick. Verse 14, verse 15, verse 16 clearly shows us that, it, that this young man was one step away from just going lower and lo- I want you to see the spiral that this young man takes as he continues in sin. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Now watch this. <clears throat> you talk about spiraling out of control. This sin led this Jew to the worst possible situation for a Jew. Check this out. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. That's a Gentile, okay? Who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, unclean animals. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. He went from having everything to not having anything. The spiral, totally out of control as he went down further and further. Listen, sin always leads to a dead end. Sin always leads to the worst possible situation. And you say, how did he get here? How did this young son of a very wealthy, prominent family get to this place? How did this happen? It happened one decision at a time. One bad decision after another bad decision after another bad decision. His selfishness, give me what is coming to me. His haste and hurrying to waste it all. His severed relationships with his family. One decision at a time he made along this route. How many times have you been to the pigsty of sin? How many times? Do you keep returning to that same pigsty and each time you go you promise Lord this is the last time I'm coming to the pigsty this is it I won't come again and then you go right back how many times do we go back to the pigsty and and here's what happens to us we think okay man I I keep going back here and I tell you what God's just he's got a limit to his forgiveness and he's going to stop forgiving me I can't do if I do it one more time that's it but see why do we think that way because we think that way Because we put limits on forgiveness. Don't you dare put limits on forgiveness because God has put no limit of forgiveness on you. He went back and he goes back and he goes back. And then there's a famine. There's always a famine when we're outside of God's will. There's always a famine when you're outside of the will of God. You're always thirsty. Here's what you do. You, you, You take the living water when you step outside of God's will. It's like taking the living, fresh cool, living water, the flowing water, the living water, and you exchange it for sewer water. Who wants to drink out of a sewer? Who wants an ice cold glass of sewage? Anybody? That's what we do. That's what this young son did. Every time we go back, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. But here's some good news. With all this trouble going on and all that's happening, we look around and we're in a famine spiritually in our nation and 
We look around. I love what Eugene Peterson said. He said it this way. All the water in the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside the ship. Cannot sink it. And all the trouble in this world cannot harm us unless it gets within us. Cannot harm us. Are you one step away from being heartsick at the bottom? See, God loves you enough to let you hit bottom. You know that? He loves you. He loves you enough to let you go. He loves you enough to let you hit bottom. And He loves you enough to let you come home. And look at the movement, the fourth movement in this text. Verse 17, 18, 19. One step away from being homesick. One step away from being homesick. The, the Scripture reads this way in verse 17. But when He came to Himself, like literally, when He came to His senses, here, here's what He said. This, this young son at the worst possible situation that sin could take him, he says this, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What I love about this, this parable that just excites me so much is both the father and the son had a plan. <laughs> I love that. We'll get to that in a second. One step away from being homesick. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses... You know, sin is a form of temporary insanity, isn't it? We exchange what is good for what is evil. We turn away from what is worth everything to what is worth nothing. We turn away from something of eternal value to no value at all. We turn away. So what caused him to come to his senses? Basically, he says, I'm perishing in this hunger. There was a hunger there. Oh, if you're tired of eating with the pigs, I know where you can go and eat of a banquet that never ends. If you're tired of drinking the sewer water of sin, I know the one who has the living water readily available for you. Well, how do we know this son really was repenting? How do we know that he really was serious about changing? Remember, in the first movement, we clearly saw it. This young son left home with the intention of never returning again. He had written it off. And then he changed his mind. That's the definition of repentance, to change your mind. And he said, I know, I can arise and go to my father. So how do we know that this young man was serious? Because he said, I'll arise, I'll go to my father, I have sinned. What, those three words will change your life. I have sinned. Wow. Changed his life. It can change your life as well. He didn't make excuses for his sin. He didn't say, well, you know, Dad, if you would have done this or that, I, I, I wouldn't have done that. Or, man, if my older brother would have been better at this or better than that, I wouldn't have done this. Or, oh, if those people in the far country had not taken advantage of me, I'd be set. And He didn't make any excuses for his sin. He didn't defend it in any way. I love what Henry Smith said about sin he said, a sin is two sins when it is defended. One pastor said, when a person becomes less and less aware of the sin within them, they're becoming more and more sinful. 
Well, this young man didn't do that. He saw his sin. He admitted his sin. He owned his sin. He confessed his sin. He, he, he turned from that sin. He changed his mind. And he doesn't try to make a deal with God in that, hey, God, if you'll replace all this that I lost, then I'll come back. No, he just wants to be with the Father. Not in a son role, but even as a servant. He just wants to be a part of it. And so he has this plan. He has made up this plan. I'm going to go and I'm going to tell my father that I've sinned and I'm no longer worthy to be his son and for him to treat me like a servant. Okay, that's the son's plan. The father has another plan. I, I was reading about a, a Greyhound bus lines. They, over a dec- for over a decade now, Greyhound bus lines has been offering free tickets to runaways between the age of 12 and 21 who want to go back home, who want to return home. And the way to get the free ticket, a few things have to happen. Number one, the runaway must call the National Runaway Safe Line and, and register as a runaway. I mean, they, they, they want to be sure that the runaway actually ran away. <laughs> Secondly, the runaway has to want to go home. Thirdly, the family has to be willing to receive the runaway home. And fourth, both parties have to have a plan once they get home. So here we see in this text, the father has a plan, the son has a plan. The son's plan is, I'm going to go beg for mercy. I'm going to go fall and say, just treat me like a servant. I'll I'll fill that role. Just just let me come back as a servant. But notice what happens. Here's the fifth move. One step away from being home. From being homesick, one step away from being home. And so let's see what the father had in mind. We know what the son had in mind. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But then the father interrupted. Right? He had a different plan. (laughs) The father had a different plan. The father said to his servants. The son, remember, he said, I'll come be a servant. Well, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Boy, the father had a different plan, didn't he? (laughs) The son said, yeah, I can go back and I can beg my father and, and I'll do this and that and that and this. And the father said... Father wouldn't even let him, him finish before he ran to him and kissed him and, 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 and had compassion on him. I love that. He had compassion on him. What has happened to compassion? What has happened to it? Our compassion has been replaced with this idea that we can just cancel people and, and cancel culture. and that's, That has replaced compassion. Man, what has happened to our compassion? You know, there's somebody in your life that needs to know that God loves them. That God loved them enough to let them go. He loves them enough to let them hit bottom. He loves them enough to let them come home. And He loves them enough to meet them before they get home. He loves them that much. Compassion. Man, I I tell you, there's people that need to know that, 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 that we love them more than we love our agendas. Man, what could we do? What could God do through our conversations, through our relationships, if we would love backbiting less and people more? If we if we love comfort less and people more? If, if we love our our esteem less and people more? 
If we'd love Facebook less and people more, if we'd love happiness less and people more, and luxury less and people more, and notoriety less and people more, if we'd love our politics less and people more, what could God do if we loved recreation, sports, go down the list, less and people more? This compassion that the father had for his son is just, it's just amazing. It's just grace and mercy poured out and people need to know. As Dr. Gaines, Steve Gaines said, people need to know that before sin was in the heart of man, salvation was in the heart of God. People need to know that. That he was compassionate long before we were rebellious. Long before that. See what the Father has done in this text. Jesus has done at the cross. That's what he's done. That's what the cross is about. Salvation is not you go find Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus finds you. He goes after you. He runs after you. He has compassion for you. So here's what I want to challenge us with today as, as the takeaway of this message. It's a very simple takeaway. It's just very simply stated, come home. Just come home. Come home. Now, now some of us need to know that Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have, would I have told you that I'd go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come back and take you so you can be where I am. You know the way to where I'm going. And Doubt and Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So, yes, it's true that no single solitary person is ever going to get home, ever get to the Father's house unless they come through Christ. But it's also true that every single person that comes to Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, will get to the Father's house. They will get home. Every one of them. So some of you have never done that. You've never trusted in Jesus. You've never experienced this compassion the Father has for you. And you're running. And you're panicked. And you're fearful. And you're tired. And you're anxious. And you're bitter. And you're unforgiven. And you're unforgiving. And God's message is come home. Come home. Trust in Christ as your Savior. And you'll have a place in my house, the Father says. Don't you want that? Don't you want to know a God who loves you that much? Has that much compassion for you? Well, you can do that today. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That he died for your sin, but he didn't stay dead. He was raised. He was alive. And he was raised to life to give all those who believe in him eternal life. The Bible says if you believe that in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So make that decision today. Some of you need to find a church home. You need to come home. We'd love to have you come home and make this church your church home. So come home. You've been watching us for a while. You've been visiting for a while. And you hadn't made that decision. It's time to come home. Man, make it official. Make this church your home church. Some of you need to be baptized you've yet to do that it's been a long time since you were saved and you've not followed through with baptism well come home through baptism we'd love to have the opportunity to baptize you and let you officially become a part of of our family here at red bank baptist church some of you need to come home by praying for a prodigal that is not home right you've got a son a daughter a family member that's wayward and they've not come home 
So this is what I want you to do. If you have your phone, if you're in person or not, online or on campus, I want you to take your phone and I want you to text the word HOME, H-O-M-E, to 79969. And what you're going to get back, you're going to get back a link. And you click on that link or touch that link and it's going to take you to a, a connect card that you can let us know the decision you're making today. If it is that you want to trust Christ for your Savior or you've made that decision, that option's there. If it's you want to learn how to be a part of this church home, the option's there. If it's, hey, I have a prayer request, I want to pray for my prodigal, it's there. If it's baptism, it's there. So all you have to do is is text the word HOME, H-O-M-E, to 79969, and you'll get that link, and you can let us know your decision today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Go ahead right now in the room or out and text HOME to 79969. It's time to come home. Come home to your almighty Father. Who get, get this. Get this about our God. He knows what you need before you ask it. <laughs> what? Yes. Come home to your benevolent Father. Who Jesus said there's in his Father's house are plenty of rooms. Like many dwelling places. He's not going to run out. Come home to your caring Father. The one whom Peter says we're to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Some of us need to stop casting our anxieties on the internet. The internet doesn't care for you. Social media doesn't care about you. You need to cast them on the Lord who cares for you. So come home. Come home to the gracious Father. The everlasting Father. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Come home to the forgiving Father who in Christ has forgiven you. Come home to a gracious Father who who, who gives grace to the humble. And this grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. You say, well, how has salvation come to all people? Through and in Christ, Jesus. You see, in Christ, we are a part of what we can't depart from, salvation. In Christ, we benefit from what we cannot buy, salvation. In Christ, we collect what we can't calculate, salvation in Christ we uh, we uh, are able to experience and enjoy what we cannot earn and that is salvation in Christ we find what we cannot furnish we happen upon what we cannot make happen we lay hold of what we cannot lose and that is salvation in Christ we stand under what we can't even understand and that is salvation So come home. Come home to a Father who loves you, who demonstrated that love for you, who is waiting for you, who is in heaven, looking over you, providing for you, promising. Listen, God's promises are not written in pencil. They don't go away. You can't erase them. So come home to a promising Father, a loving Father, a merciful Father, an omnipotent, omnipresent omniscient Father who is before all things and knows everything and is able to do anything. Come home. Church, it's time to come home. Father, would you help us today as we read this parable? There's so many applications we can make to this one who who walked away and Lord, I look at the end of this text where it says they began to celebrate. And we look at that celebration where the fattened calf was killed and everybody gathered and they began to eat and they began to celebrate. And we look at that and say, wow, isn't that a little bit over the top? Isn't that celebration a little bit too much? 
didn't the Father go above and beyond to celebrate? And one day in heaven, we're going to realize that no, this celebration, it wasn't that it was over the top. It wasn't that it was too much. It wasn't that it was over and above. We're going to find out when we get to the glory of heaven that it failed in human language to picture, to illustrate, to display, to describe, to explain the celebration that happens in heaven when one sinner repents. Oh God, help us to see the truth in this text. The rejoicing and the joy over one sinner who comes home. Let us see it's worth it to come home. God, help us to come home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.